Hello, hello, and welcome to the All Good Juju Podcast. I am your host, Brittany Basinski. Today's episode will be featuring Charlie Keyswetter, an attachment theory expert and content creator. I found Charlie scrolling TikTok while navigating my own healing journey in relation to my attachment style and discovering how it affects my relationships. This is a highly personal and deeply intimate discussion about the different attachment styles that impact our relationships, navigating no contact periods, my first experience with being ghosted, and how to heal through all of this with and without being in a romantic relationship. I am so grateful to have Charlie with us chatting today. This is such a highly informative an insightful interview you will not want to miss. So let's dive in. Hey, Charlie, thank you so much for coming on today. I'm so excited to have this talk with you. Let's start by telling everyone a little bit about who you are and the content that you are creating right now. Well, thank you, Brittany. I appreciate you having me on. I was really excited when you asked me to come on the show. Um, I'm Charlie. I'm based in Toronto, Canada. And I, outside of content creation, I'm kind of just like an audiovisual nerd, music producer, audio enthusiast. But uh, basically right now I am focused on content around attachment theory and no contact. Um, Sort of just kind of fell into the space. I'm not like... um, uh, professional or licensed professional or therapist or anything like that. So take what I say with a grain of, th- a grain of salt, <laughs> but um, definitely I-, I like to stand as an example that anybody can kind of fill my shoes and it's totally possible. So really excited to d- dive into those today. Yeah. And it's interesting because I mean, I'll be straight up. I found you on TikTok searching attachment theory because that's like a current I guess wound or journey that I'm healing and that I'm on so you know it's funny because I think so often people get stuck in the the labels of like well I'm not a professional but like you know so much about this topic (laughs) and it shows your content is just a wealth of knowledge and I'm learning so much from it constantly Um, And just to be like super honest, there's just not a lot of men who are doing this type of work right now. So that was another Mm -hmm. reason why I was like, I need to bring this man onto the show to prove that there are men out there doing this work for one, um, but also to like to talk about this work. And so let's talk about it. How did you get into diving into this, what really like triggered you or what was the pain point? What was the, what's the story here? Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's something that I put a lot of thought into. And uh, like, as I mentioned, I kind of just fell into it. Um, About seven, eight months ago, I left a really long-term relationship. And at the time I had very limited knowledge about attachment theory. Um, my ex at the time kind of knew a little bit about it and had mentioned it in passing. Um, but at that point, I knew nothing about no contact either. So it was totally new territory for me. And going through that experience and realizing that I really sucked at no contact and wanted to understand why, 
Um, naturally being sort of a person that leads with curiosity in every daily interaction, I did a lot of research. I started Googling being like, why do I suck at no contact? What's going on? Why am I always anxious? Why do I feel the need to reach out to this person when we've both agreed that that's not what we want to do? And um, that led me to attachment theory. And the moment I kind of really started to seriously consider it, it really explained a lot about my life up until that point. Yeah. Um, it kind of just gave me all the answers at once. And at first it was pretty overwhelming. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't usually recommend to a lot of people, like while you're going through a traumatic experience, like a breakup or a divorce or separation, um, to really start doing that work um, within the first few days and weeks. But um, it was necessary for me. I needed to yeah. really just figure out what was going through my mind and body at the time to really get everything sort of under control um, yeah. from a healthy perspective, at least. Yeah, I think there's so much of what you said there that is like super duper relatable. Um, for instance, just I I Google all the time, like, why am I like this? Why did I do that? Why is this happening? And so I think yeah, when you're going through something like a traumatic experience, you tend to get like really cerebral about it. And you're like, damn, why did that happen? Why am I like this? And so you're searching for answers. So that that literally is what happened to me, right? Like I'm leaving this relationship of this marriage. And, you know, throughout that, there's other people who try to come into your life and navigating what does that mean? Or, you know, why was that exchanged mm-hmm. that way? Um, and so I discovered that I, I have an anxious attachment style currently, but as we dive into this, um, there's, this is really intricate stuff. It really can be, um, you know, and, and what you've learned about the attachment theory, well, let's just, let's give an overarching like definition of attachment theory and then the different styles. And then we can kind of go in a little bit deeper there. Yeah, absolutely. So attachment theory is basically, it started out as the study between the relationship dynamics between parents or caregivers and their children. Um, So some of those earliest experiences would ultimately shape how the child would grow up and just navigate situations like their first day of school or going to a new playground and how willing they are to explore the area. And then it wasn't until a little bit later that the people that actually started to study all of this realized that some of these same patterns also applied later in life to adult relationships. And I feel like now with uh, social media, specifically TikTok Mm -hmm. and dating apps and all of that messy stuff, um, attachment theory is sort of at the forefront. And it's a really big factor for a lot of people in their adult life now when they're coming to terms with reconciling all of that. Mm -hmm. And when you break it down, uh, depending on who you believe, there's sort of some different schools of thought, but generally there are four core attachment styles, but some people will say that the last one could be split into two. So there's a little bit of a conversation around that, but Mm -hmm. the, um, the be all and end all, the end goal of attachment theory is to become securely attached. And essentially, that is the type of person that had their needs met growing up 
as a child and well into adulthood through all of those major milestone experiences were emotionally, physically, and mentally supported. Um, and they're the types that are usually characterized by people with a good sense of self-esteem. Um, they're not usually willing to tolerate relationships that don't serve their better well-being, and they know they got their back at the end of the day. Um, followed by that is usually the anxious attachment style, which is uh, yourself, and <laughs> usually that's characterized oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> by, by people who um, may have had some of their needs met growing up, but it wasn't always consistent, mm -hmm. and because of that, they learned to not fully trust their caregivers. There's a bit of distrust there, and then obviously that can translate to trust issues later in relationships. And usually people with this attachment style, uh, they need a lot of reassurance, um, constant communication, depending on the severity. And um, as a result, one of their love languages ends up being words of affirmation. Um, wow. It's like, you yeah. know me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, done a lot of research. Um, and then after that is avoiding attachment style. These were people that very early on realized that the only way they could get their needs met was by themselves. They're the type of people that are very independent, self-sufficient, and they'd rather do things themselves because they'll do it right. And it's sort of this mentality that translates later into life with people that might not collaborate well or might not do well in group projects because they like to do it all themselves. These are people that have a hard time asking for help. And because of that, they also have a hard time being vulnerable and they have a fear of intimacy. And so the last category is sort of like a mixture of anxious and avoidant, which is sometimes called fearful avoidant. And these are people that can sometimes sort of vacillate between both of those styles, sometimes in their daily life on such a small micro scale, but at a macro level, they tend to lean toward one side or the other, depending on what type of environment they're in, in their household, the relationships that they have. Um, and you can actually switch between both. Um, that's something we'll get into. Yeah. Like you can switch your style, but um, that's the one that can actually flip up the most without many people realizing it if they're not aware. Oh. And so- there's kind of, um, I, I mentioned this before, there's a bit of a discussion. Uh, some people might classify that there's five where there's disorganized. And um, really, that's just fearful avoidance on steroids sometimes, yeah. where yeah. it can be a little bit more severe, more overwhelming for other people. And they can actually fluctuate between fearfulness and avoidance um, more drastically. Mm -hmm. And so they're for for the most part the community kind of just classifies those as four mm -hmm. um but I, I really like to think like attachment theory and all of these styles is like a spectrum mm. you kind of can you're not kind of locked into one specific category you can kind of free flow between yeah. all of them depending on how you go about it yeah that's interesting it's so funny do you have like certain people that come to your mind as soon as you like say certain attachment styles yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> That's yeah, so definitely. Funny. You're yeah. just like, oh, I can't say, but it's definitely this person and this person and this person. <laughs> yeah, yeah, oh. yeah. I can definitely spot the signs now when I'm like right. getting to know new people or when I'm working with colleagues and yeah. I see them how they handle projects and you know difficult conversations. Like, mm. uh, I don't like to like self-diagnose people, right? Because uh, there's a lot more to life than just attachment theory, but it uh -huh. really can explain a lot about people in their daily interactions. Totally, totally. And what I found interesting was how you can kind of 
go back and forth between styles. That was a question that I had because I'd certainly know people in my life where I'm like, well, at one point you were anxious, but now you're being avoidant. So mm-hmm. which one are you? And it, it's hard to, to classify. And then, you know, I'll say I was um, in a long-term marriage relationship for like, I was with this person, you know, from 17 until now, like I'm 31 and I started out super anxious. And then over the span of time, I just got secure and you just trust. And, you know, is that's ultimately the goal, right. To like shift Mm -hmm. into that. Um, and of course things are different now, but that's possible, right. To like, to heal that or to get to that point, you can't, am I making sense? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, the thing about it being sort of like a spectrum and free flowing is, um, depending on the circumstances that surround you, the environment and the relationship that you're in, uh, it can basically push or pull you in any Mm. one direction. So, um, my last relationship, we were together since we were very young, uh, 11 years in total, and we were both fearful avoidance. And, Um, I started out leaning more towards avoidance and she had been more anxious. And then somewhere along the way we switched, I became the anxious one and she became the avoidant one. And, um, that whole experience after the fact kind of helped me to realize like whether you're doing it intentionally or not, you can actually switch your style and it can just happen. And, if you are intentional about it, you can be more um, strategic with the decisions you make on a day-to-day because a lot of it does revolve around reprogramming your subconscious mind. Um, A lot of these just stem from experiences you've had with caregivers growing up. And so essentially you have to become a parent for yourself to become secure. You have to give yourself that security to get there along the way. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. And you know, it's interesting. I never really thought about it like a spectrum, but as I'm learning more about it and more questions kind of arise, it does make sense to kind of view it as like a sliding scale when you feel safe in a relationship or, you know, um, in that environment or things have evolved, right. And you just feel more secure. It could slide and that. Mm-hmm. That seems to make sense. Now, when I was first diving into it, I just kind of thought like, well, I'm an anxious attacher and that's just me. And that's who, that's how I'll always be. And I'll just always attract avoidance who are emotionally unavailable and want nothing to do with me. Or if they do want something to do with me, they're not going to ever admit it or ever allow themselves to feel because they're afraid of in their, their core inner childhood wounds won't allow them to. So mm-hmm. I kind of thought that that was just, you know, should we avoid avoidance at all costs? I mean, we talk about like TikTok is big with dating, right? Like this avoidant, um, emotionally unavailable, uh, attachment wounded is at the forefront. And I think it's a great conversation, but do you think that, what, what are your thoughts here? Like, should you avoid an avoidant if you're an anxious attacher or, or what do you think? That's a great question. And since I've kind of dipped my toes back into the dating scene, it's something that I've put a lot of thought into. Um, I, I think no matter what, it's almost impossible to avoid someone who is an avoidant. Yeah. But the biggest thing is the fact that you can even spot them is a sign of growth and healing because oh. you have more of an awareness. Whereas before you may have been 
indirectly attracted to that type of person and not even fully realized it. Right. And so when you're kind of questioning um, actively, it's like, should I pursue this person? They're showing signs of avoidance. And then that kind of can prompt you whether or not you want to actually move forward. Mm. Um, do you really like this person enough to take on the emotional labor of working with them to create earned security within that relationship? But are they also willing to put in that work? I think that's the biggest thing. It's it's not our job to heal other people, but it's our job to support them along their journey. And if they're willing to do it, then that's a conversation you can have with someone who has an avoiding attachment style because they're obviously aware enough to even know about attachment theory yeah. if they can even bring it up. And so that's usually some of the things I look out for when getting to know new people. It's like, do they know about their attachment style, where it comes from and how it manifests on the day to day. Mm -hmm. And that can kind of help you figure out how you can navigate those daily interactions with that person, what their boundaries might be. And you can figure out if there's a common ground you can both really work in. And yeah. so uh, personally for me, after a history of dating people that occupied avoidance or um, were fearful avoidant and started anxious and became avoidant, I would personally prefer someone that is just more so on the anxious spectrum. Mm -hmm. um, just because in my experience, they tend to be more open in terms of communication. Um, they yeah. have more self-awareness and they're willing to bring more to the table than someone who is um, maybe unaware and deep yeah. in their avoidant tendencies. Mm -hmm. It's just, just too much for me. <laughs> I hear it. I hear that completely. It, it almost is like the anxious attacher is like chronically emotionally available to mm -hmm. a fault almost mm -hmm. where it's like, we know we care so deeply so much. In fact, we might care about you more than our own selves at times, which is a problem, but yeah. I hear you there because it's like, well, at least I know you care, right? Like the avoidance, mm -hmm. like you, you won't know that they care. They, there's just nothing. Right. So a couple of things that you know, really kind of perked my ears up a little bit was you were talking a little bit about like a cycle you can create. And I kind of want to touch on trauma bonds because I think, you know, <laughs> TikTok is a funny place and I just get sucked in to like all things psychology and why is this that way and spirituality. So I don't know if you've heard of like the twin flame journey. Oh, <laughs> Am yeah. I just like over <laughs> your head? Okay. No. I mean, I'm a chick, so like I like astrology and all these things, but essentially what it does is it glamorizes in my opinion. I mean, I'm a hopeless romantic. So like I, like I low key love it, but it glamorizes the trauma bond yeah. and, um, between like the runner and chaser dynamic, which would be the anxious attacher and the avoidant attacher and how they kind of are like magnetized towards each other. What do you think about that? Like, what do you think about trauma bonds and yeah, that whole thing? Yeah. Is that I a thing say, to you or? Yeah, no, definitely. I have some experience with this. That was my last relationship. Um, yeah. And that was the biggest thing to reconcile is like, did we have a trauma bond? What did it look like? Because one trauma bond doesn't necessarily look the same as the other. Mm -hmm. And coming out of that relationship, I actually became really obsessed with tarot readings. And of oh, course, yeah. that it's the same territory <laughs> of 
uh, astrology and mm -hmm. the twin flame journey. And so I, I, at that point, I didn't recognize that I was just so activated in my anxious attachment style totally. that I was latching onto hope of these readings, hopefully bringing back this person. Like there's going to be movement. They're going to come toward you. And, yeah. and like, it's hilarious. After you really get through that, you realize a lot of these tarot readers, they all say the same thing. They do. I, I think it's I think it's no different than a lot of the relationship gurus who will say, like, you can use no contact to get your ex back. Mm, um, a lot of it is manipulation. A lot of it is just being at the right place at the right time to get people when they're yeah. the most vulnerable. And if they have a really well-designed sales pipeline, they can convert you and you can just drop cash on them. Yeah. So- I won't, I won't just say that to degrade all people who are genuinely interested in that and they want to do that as their career, but there is a school of thought that um, when it comes to the twin flame journey and you're in separation from each other, you are supposed to be working on yourself. Totally. You are supposed to be healing and detaching. And that's the same school of thought when it comes to no contact. Yeah. And it's almost like two sides of the same coin, which will say... Um, don't worry, just just basically keep doing these readings, keep checking back or book a call with me and I can coach you through it and yeah. you'll be sticking with no contact and win win them back. And it, it kind of creates this false narrative for a lot mm -hmm. of people where they can drop um, just unnecessary amounts of money You're on right. people that they think are the solution. Whereas I personally am very hesitant to want to take on calls with people because I don't want to become a coach and have them think I'm going to provide the answers. Yeah, A lot of my content is trying to actually help people become that answer in themselves. Mm -hmm. like give them the tools and let them fit that into their life. So no matter if they really believe in the twin flame journey or no contact, either way, they are still just connecting with themselves because mm -hmm. chances are they lost themselves in that last relationship. And that's a big thing. Yeah. Yeah. And something that kind of is jumping out at me is, you know, the tarot talk and the twin flame journey and all of that, really what it does, especially if you have an anxious attachment style is give you a sense of control when you are feeling out of control. Mm -hmm. At least that's my experience. When I start seeing tarot yeah, talk, tarot talk coming on my for you page, I'm like, damn it. I'm losing. I'm spinning <laughs> out. <laughs> yeah. That's exactly. when you know things are getting bad again. Um, yeah. But you like, it's funny. I know I'm doing better when I'm not seeing tarot talk on my, my for you or when I'm just like, you know what, this is bullshit. Like you guys mm. don't know he ain't coming back or whatever, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's always funny too, because sometimes they'll be like, there is this saying, he always comes back. And I think if you're a woman, you know this. And I don't know if this is necessarily true for men. Like maybe in your experience, the ex always comes back. In a woman's case, it doesn't matter how it ended. I can't, I mean, even like situationships, it will blow your mind. They, they always come back. Yeah. But the thing is like, the question you have to ask yourself is, do you want them to come back? Mm -hmm. And like That's you said, thing. when you are in that no contact era, you're right. You should be doing the healing and you should be healing so much that this person is no longer attractive to you because that's not what you're desiring in a relationship. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think when it comes to like no contact gurus or 
um, tarot readers or uh, the twin flame mystics. It's, <laughs> it's really like they're trying to say that they're going to come back and it's going to be soon yeah. or it might be an extended period of time. Realistically, if you're approaching that from a healed perspective, the absolute soonest I would ever say get back with someone is if like many years have passed mm. because that'll give you a bit of a perspective to say, has this person really changed over time? Uh. What type of experiences have they had since we disconnected and what new do they bring to the table? Otherwise, it takes a while for people to really change and you have to be deliberate about it. And if yeah. they're just kind of stuck in their old ways, you're going to realize that very quickly after being disconnected for so long. And that, again, is a sign of healing. But I think if you have the intention of wanting to reconnect with them just because you feel vulnerable, alone, and maybe even abandoned during mm. those initial months, weeks, or maybe even years after a relationship, um, you're going to be susceptible to kind of falling back into that same cycle, that same trauma mm -hmm. bond. And that's going to essentially take you all back on that progress you've made during that time. Yeah. Something else you said earlier was you were talking about how the the attachment styles manifest and like signs that you can notice. I can notice the signs right away now, but maybe you can tell the people who are listening, like what are some signs say you're dating or you're in a, in a relationship and you notice your partner is anxious or whatever, or avoidant. What are some telltale signs, you know, when navigating that? Yeah. Yeah. So usually for the anxious, um, they can tend to be, depending on how severe, they can be like really interested in you, like almost to a point where you've never had someone as interested in you this much before. And they're the types of people who will respond quickly to your texts. They'll they'll send you DMs and memes. And it's just little bids for connection throughout the day, mm -hmm. which is their way of saying like, hey, I'm thinking about you. Totally. Um, whereas avoidance, they might be okay with going like maybe a few hours to weeks. hopefully days or weeks without even interacting with you. Um, the other thing as well is when you're getting to know someone in those earliest phases, uh, anxious types might be more willing to share intimate details about themselves mm -hmm. where it might um, be considered too soon to really start getting into that. And so depending on how that resonates with you, that might make you attracted to them because you appreciate the intimacy or it might push you away depending on if you're avoiding yourself. Yeah. And so avoidance will tend to keep conversations kind of surface level. Yep. Um, they might even come off as a totally different style at first because oh, yes. it might be at a point where they, they sort of crave that emotional intimacy. Mm -hmm. But once they sort of, once their cup is filled, um, many people will say it's like they've completely switched or they ghosted and it's like, Oh well, my gosh. Yes. Yeah. So that does happen. And those are things you can look out for. But another thing is like, when you start to ask some really specific questions that engage whether or not this is someone that's self-aware but also mm -hmm. comfortable opening up about themselves you can gauge really quickly whether or not they have an avoidant attachment style mm. because many avoidance might dance around topics they might not want to really get into the like the dark dirty details of yeah. anything about their past and so 
Um, those are some of the signs I usually look out for. The, the one yeah. thing I am starting to learn is like, what does a secure attachment look like? Yes, um, I'm thinking the same yeah. thing. Do I know anyone? Like, yeah, I think exactly. I've experienced it a little bit just, just because of where I was, um, you know, but currently right now, like meeting new people, for instance, I don't know, like, do, does one meet a secure, or like, do they exist to just like a, a single securely attached person? Like, are they real? Yeah. I've so, questioned that myself. Right. Um, I, I haven't come across one. I don't know if that's something you like achieve on your own, like genuinely, like, is that something you achieve on your own or like you get to that place with someone? I, they exist by themselves, right? They gotta. Right. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I would <laughs> like to think that many of them aren't even on dating apps um, yeah. because they don't need to be really comfortable and content with themselves. They know that they'll meet someone when the time is right or um, they just have other ways of going about seeking connection. And well, so that sounds like me. So maybe um, I will say <laughs> maybe. Yeah, no, that's what I mean. Like there are signs where people can have qualities of all of these at once. And it's really about like sort of managing those levels. Yeah. Um, you might be more heavily weighted as secure, but your avoidance is going down. But mm. because you're going with problems at work or you're really tight on money, you might you might find that your anxiety is going up. And so mm. it's really about managing all of those at the same time. That's fascinating. Gosh, we could just talk for hours. Um, Because I have a theory that when like men don't feel financially stable, they are more avoidant and mm. they, they act different. Um, and I've, I've seen oh, it. Yeah. I've, I've I, seen, I, yeah, yeah. I've seen that this, it's like a switch goes off where like, you're doing great. Something weird happens at work and your money situation, especially at, with the masculine energy, like many men probably don't even, they're not like conscious of this, but I just study this shit. So I'm like, something happened at work. He's going to be acting weird. Like I just know it. <laughs> <laughs> and then they switch into this like avoidant behavior and it's it's wild to me mm -hmm. I think there's a lot to that and it kind of reminded me of this one TikTok that was going around it was pretty viral where this one girl that. had asked like <laughs> do men know what they're like when they're broke and I, I I was like oh yeah that's that's so true like I've been there as well like there have oh, been totally. times where I didn't make as much money and so I definitely lead in towards avoidance um, part of it it kind of helps you deal with a lot of the social indoctrination that men are mm -hmm. fed from an early age, like you have to be the provider, yeah. the financial caregiver, um, but also like the corporate and just professional business world kind of primes people to be avoidant by nature. Um, you have to sort of step into this different mindset where you don't look at people like they're people. They might be colleagues, but if you're like a manager or you run a Fortune 500 company, you have to be ready to lay off essentially people in mass. Like it's happening in tech right now with like all these big tech companies, mm -hmm. even like Facebook laid off 11,000 people the other day. So I, I would say that maybe that some of those people at the top are avoidant because <laughs> anybody that sees them as people might realize like, mm, oh, it's not easy to do that. Yeah. yeah. Wow. That's interesting to think about how the corporate world can kind of jade you into um, being emotionally unavailable. That's fascinating. Um, yeah. 
it it's mind blowing. There's just, there's so much you could dig into. I do want to touch on ghosting because, Mm -hmm. you know, as a millennial who is just new to, um, I feel like I'm reborn, man, like just new to new relationships (laughs) and people and like, so I'm not on dating apps. I, I'll, I just don't think that's for me. I just Mm -hmm. can't see myself. I'm just, I I don't like small talk. I don't want like a casual, I'm just, I'm not a casual person. Like everything about me is just, I'm not, I mean, I dress casual, but like, I'm pretty intense and you know, I, I've got like ride or die friends. I don't just have a lot of like, you know, I don't, I just, my time is important. So I just can't see myself mm-hmm. investing in, in just simple exchanges. It's just not me. However, whether you're looking or not, the internet's a big, big, big world. So people will find you and you know, you'll entertain like a conversation here and there. Um, and it was my first experience being ghosted. I'm like, what? Oh no. Like, Oh, it's brand new. And so now I'm used to it. And actually I have, (laughs) Um, I have a 16 year old sister. My mom kind of had her as like an oopsie daisy. Um, so it's funny because she's, what is that? Gen Z? Is that what that is? Um, so she's Gen Z. She keeps me cool and young and fun. And we'll just crack up about ghosting now. I'm like, this is keeping (laughs) me young, like to be ghosted. What a privilege. (laughs) Um, I'm joking because it's actually pretty horrible. So let's, (laughs) let's talk about ghosting. Yeah. Yeah. It definitely sucks. Um, I wouldn't say I've been ghosted at a point where it's like I've gone on dates with someone. Mm -hmm. I've gotten to know them. It's mostly just been like, oh, they just didn't respond Uh, because I was I was on Bumble for a while. Yeah. So I I will say that I I didn't really like it. Um, Fortunately, I did meet someone from there so that it wasn't a complete loss. But um, personally, it's like a lot of just like sort of getting through people that you go through that small talk and you never really know when you might say something, especially as an anxious person that might push them away, or at least that's what you think. And so I feel like in a world with like so many different dating apps, so much social media, there's just so much potential and option to think like someone better is out there. I don't want to overcommit too soon and risk meeting someone halfway through because I don't want to risk having to deal with the messy conversation of telling this person, I don't want to get to know them anymore because I'm talking to someone else. Mm. And I feel like that's where ghosting really comes into play. But also a big part of it is like growing up, um, we're not really told like, this is how you break up with someone. Yeah, we don't have this the tools is, for that. Yeah, like school doesn't teach you things like that. Mm-mm. And I really feel like when it comes to social dynamics, that's an important thing. Like connection is just as big as disconnection. And totally. how you manage both can say a lot about you. And mm-hmm. so I personally do not condone ghosting. Um, anybody no. who does it likely is unhealed. Mm-hmm. Um, but I will say maybe there's rules around it depending on your personality type. Like if you've yeah, met the boundaries. person, yeah, if you've met the person, you've had a date, gotten to know them, you maybe even had a phone call, like then you should tell them. Mm-hmm. But like if you haven't even gotten off the dating app yet, 
it's not that big of a deal. Like, mm, sure, yeah. it sucks, but you may have only had a couple of exchanges here and there. It happens. People get busy. Um, I would say the biggest thing when you bring attachment theory into this is if you do have an anxious attachment style is to not make that about yourself, mm. to not have that be a reflection of your personal self-worth and think like, could I have said something differently or totally. what could I have done different? Because um, it's not about you. And yeah. them ghosting is like all the closure you need. Really. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would say the ghosting, the first time it happened, it was like a switch went off. Everything was cool. We're just, you know, talking and then boom, gone. And you're like, whoa. And for me, since one, I'd never experienced it. Um, I had like a visceral response to it the first time I was like, ouch, that hurt. That triggered my abandonment wounds that like talk about being like self-aware and reflecting. Like I turned so inwards and I was like, shit, what does this mean? What do I have to heal? Why does this mean? And I knew it wasn't a reflection of me. And that's when I started digging into the attachment theory. It was like, what is this ghosting? Why does this happen? And why do I feel so shitty when it yeah. happens, you know, like yuck. Um, and I just realized I'm like, it's my abandonment wounds. I feel neglected. It's uh, I feel rejected. My rejection wounds, my a core fear of being rejected. Um, that's like my Enneagram four showing, um, you know, so it was like everything had kind of hit me at once. And I was like, whoa. But then, you know, you have a, a couple choices, right? Like you take that ghosting experience and you turn inward and you realize that that that's not really a rejection of me. That's their projection of themselves and their inability to communicate their feelings. So I, I currently have a no ghosting someone policy right now where if I instantly know that someone is reaching out to me and they're interested in me in that way. I'm very honest where I'll say, you know, I'm just not feeling the connection with you like that, but, you know, happy to, to link up or stay in touch or whatever. Um, because that sucks, right? Like it is a really hard word track to tell someone. I don't see you like that. I'm not quite interested in you that way. Knowing you have been interested like that with somebody else, just not them. I think especially wanting people just don't want to hurt other people. Yeah. The biggest yeah. thing. And so I don't know, do you have like a good word track for people who are like trying not to go someone or let someone down in a nice way? Yeah, essentially, I, I would try my best to be really considerate of their personal self-worth mm. um, and just just kind of acknowledge it for what it is. Like, just say, like, I've enjoyed getting to know you, but I personally think we're on two different paths mm. and that doesn't necessarily mean it's a bad thing by any right. means. Um, I've gotten to know people where they were more healed than I was. And mm -hmm. I could recognize that, oh, I am the quote unquote red flag in this situation. <laughs> I'm not oh, good for man. them. And so it, it took a lot of courage just to say like, um, I don't think this is going to work out. I think you're mm -hmm. more healed than I am. And you would probably be a lot happier with somebody that can match your energy because I simply can't do that. Wow. And I find when you do that, there's a lot of humility in that. And yeah. 
when you do that, you're going to get more respect from people. Totally. And who knows? You kind of, you leave chances open to the future should anything happen. Um, Because not everything has to be like set in stone forever. Mm -hmm. But if you ghost, chances are you're pretty much closing the door. (laughs) Yeah, you're ruining your odds, bud. Um, Yeah. Yeah, no, I really like how you handled that. And I just think the level of self-awareness is so refreshing. I just cannot stress it enough there. I mean, men and women, I don't know. Are you coming? Do you find it hard as a man to find a woman right now in the dating world that is doing quote the work and is healing? Or do you find that there's a discrepancy between men and women? I mean, I have my thoughts, but what are yours? Um, if you were to ask me that, say like 11 years ago, before that relationship, I would have said, yeah, it's really hard. But now that I have done the healing work and I can spot some of those signs, even when they say certain things on like a dating profile or in a small little interaction in person, um, I find it's easier for me to just be like, this isn't my person. Mm. And that's not a personal flaw on them or a reflection of me. It's just, we're just not two puzzle pieces that fit fit together seamlessly. Mm -hmm. And so instead of trying to force that, that kind of helps me pat myself on the back, but then also gives me an opportunity to um, become more secure and step into that vulnerability and communicate where I think we're good, but where I don't think we're good long-term. And I think that's a really honest conversation to have with people. But um, when it comes to just dating as a whole, uh, it really depends where you're looking. I, I really do think like, just acknowledge that there are certain things that you can probably be happy with and certain mm. things you aren't like personally, I'm not looking to meet people at bars. Yeah. Um, there's also other things where like, I know I wouldn't be able to make someone else happy. Like if they're the type that really loves to travel a lot throughout the yeah. year, that's just not me. I like, I, I have obligations that kind of keep me from doing that. Mm-hmm. And so when I see things like that on a dating profile, it's like, maybe I shouldn't swipe right on this person. Even if they are attractive, it doesn't right. necessarily mean that we're going to be a good fit. So mm-hmm. I'm I'm more selective now, but I will say um, TikTok has become a place where you can meet people that are doing their healing work, but you kind of have to be cautious about who you meet on that platform because mm. it's it's an intimate platform, right? You can share your own personal story and sometimes people just want to be a part of that story for a short time. And so you got to be selective with who you really get to know from there. Yeah, no, I agree. It is that that's a great way to describe it. It is an intimate platform. It's so different. I haven't really got to talk about this, but it's so different than Instagram in that way where I mean, my personal favorite is that Instagram is so curated and everyone wants to show how, how they have their shit together mm-hmm. where TikTok it's kind of the opposite. Everyone wants to show you how maybe they don't have their shit together, but like neither does the next person you're following or the next person. And we're all kind of in it together as like real honest people who aren't hiding shit on that platform. I love that about it. Yeah. 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 I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that it did start as a video first platform unlike mm-hmm. Instagram, which was purely just pictures. Right. And so it can be easier. There's more tools to access to sort of, um, you know, Facetune, mm-hmm. for example, you can make yourself appear prettier or 
you can change your appearance, but on video, it's a lot harder to pull off and not everybody has those skills. And so I feel like that's allowed people to really step into their authenticity. Totally. Um, Even though you have those like aesthetic creators that have like the perfectly pleasing looking home. Oh yeah. um, (laughs) It's all over the place. Yeah. It doesn't necessarily make your content go viral. That's the thing. Like on Instagram, it maybe would, if you had you know, everything from West Elm in your house and designer this and that's and your smoothie bowl was perfect with sprinkles or whatever. And that, that did it. But on TikTok, that ain't going to do it. You've just got to be a good content creator and you've got to show up consistently and add value because it's not about you. Instagram's a little bit about you and your audience and they care about you. No one gives a shit about you on TikTok unless mm-hmm. you give them a reason to. And it's kind of savage in that way. But I I mean, I respect it for that. Absolutely. And I like how they're doing the opposite of most other social media platforms where most are obviously geared towards advertisers yeah. and making money. And so the content is really consumed in a short time frame. Mm-hmm. Whereas TikTok is trying to be like, a new YouTube in the sense that it's a video yeah. SEO engine. And so totally. that's really adding to people to step into their authentic- authenticity, create longer form content. Mm-hmm. And so when you also pair that with like um, recession and inflation, people still want entertainment, but they don't necessarily want to spend as much money. Totally. And that's where these longer format platforms are going to outshine those other platforms like Instagram or mm-hmm. if does anybody even still use Facebook anymore? Yeah, no, <laughs> um, not yeah. really. Yeah, no. exactly. So nobody really wants to look at those aesthetically pleasing things when it doesn't really match the tone of reality right now. It's a little tone mm. deaf, I would say. Yeah, that's a really interesting perspective. And I completely agree where I find myself on Instagram less and less. And I'm on there because I do have a a beautiful community of people that I've met and I love and I've had it for years. And I love my people. And I think really TikTok can somewhat serve for me as a funnel to Instagram from a business perspective, which I appreciate. Um, but yeah, just the experiences are totally different. I'm not dissing Instagram. Instagram has been super good to me and my business and my connections in this lifetime. I'm forever grateful. But I like if if I'm being honest, I I go to bed with TikTok like every night because there's like Reiki people <laughs> and like ASMR yeah. people. Do you live? Yeah. Do you watch them? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So weird, but like it's so soothing. Mm-hmm. You yeah, know, it's yeah. like a weird thing. I don't want to admit, but I'm like, oh my God, the way that she's tapping her fingernails just puts me to sleep. Like, <laughs> why is that a weird thing? But you you don't find that stuff on Instagram. No, Instagram is like memes. It's it's really great for memes. Can't go wrong with the memes, but yeah. yeah. And they, the comedy is better on TikTok. You know, I follow a lot of like comedy stuff and I'm just like cracking up at these creators are so talented. Yeah, I really feel it's sort of pushing the line of what it means to be comedic mm-hmm. on social media. Um, and most times with like Facebook, Instagram, even Twitter, it was very like image heavy news mm-hmm. um, with text. Whereas like now, like people are becoming the comedian themselves. Um, yeah. And I think a big part of it is like, um, when you look at how memes transpired on Instagram, you 
quickly realized that some of the biggest meme creators are actually just marketing agencies. And so mm. it kind of takes away the appeal to it. Whereas like you have people popping up on TikTok, talking about their day, showing the humor that is their life. And right. it's, it's showing people that like, I can be funny too. Mm-hmm. And I don't need to like be this big agency to be able to do it. Yeah. That makes so much sense. And it's funny because now that you mention it, I'm realizing a lot of the meme generator people, they they have their own like media company now. So it's like, it's just yeah. social media is wild, but like it connected us and it helped me learn about my attachment style. And um, I do want to talk a little bit about no contact because it's on my mm-hmm. list of things to talk to you about. And it's something that I am navigating. And the thing about it for me, um, and maybe you have experience with this or you don't, um, going through like a separation or divorce, there's so many boundaries you have to put in place to keep yourself like emotionally safe. And so I'm not just like in no contact with, you know, an ex I'm in no contact with in-laws and old connections and things like that to keep myself emotionally safe. Um, but yeah, I've also been in no contact with, the avoidant type, right? Where it's like, okay, well, I held a boundary with this said person and, you know, this was not in alignment with how I want to communicate, how I want to move forward with, you know, a connection with someone. And then from that, they didn't maybe have the communication skills or the emotional bandwidth or the tools within to communicate from that said boundary and then comes the ghosting and not no contact. And I've initiated no contact with, you know, a person relatively recently regarding like trying to set a boundary. Mm-hmm. And that's really difficult to do because especially as an anxious attacher, initiating no contact was like, I don't even know. It was, I don't know. It was wild. It was, it it didn't make sense. It's like, I shouldn't be, but like, I know this is what I need to do, but this was like the hardest thing. Um, so yeah, let's, let's touch on no contact because it is interesting. It serves a purpose. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And, um, that was another thing that I kind of like dived into after my last relationship was Mm -hmm. like, what is no contact? What does it mean? How can I excel at it? Um, But it actually started by me wanting to figure out how can I use this to get this person back? Mm -hmm. Um, Because I didn't like being alone. I had been in a relationship for so long that the idea of being single now in my 30s was absolutely terrifying. Totally. And so I I think that just kind of stands with what we were talking about a little bit earlier. It's like there's always those bottom feeders there who are waiting for you in your most vulnerable moments to just take your money and say, you're in no contact. Yeah. Let me show you how you can use it to get your ex back. Mm -hmm. And um, there are many of them out there who will say like, it can get your ex back, but that's not the purpose of it. And I would say I fall into that category. Mm -hmm. Um, There are some people who will say an ex is an ex for a reason. And while there's some truth to that, um, it doesn't mean people can't change. Yeah. And there can't be reconnection later, but totally. it, what really comes down to is like, 
the stuff you're going to learn about yourself and that other person and the connection you both equally manifested mm. um, during no contact. Because if you're not really doing that work, that self-reflection and that growth, you're going to just replace that person with somebody else, but they're going to be the exact same type of person. Totally. And you're not going to grow. Um, I will say there's a community out there that says, you know, use no contact, um, get your money up, go to the gym, get a revenge body, uh, all that stuff. And that's good. Like it's important yeah. <laughs> to have finances and be healthy, but <clears throat> I will say like, the gym can only get you so far in therapy. Oh um, yeah. You need more you than really that. have to be intentional about it. You have to be deliberate. Mm. And, mm. um, one of the biggest things I've started doing is when I'm working out or even just going for a walk, I'm not bringing my headphones anymore because it really forces me to just think with myself Sit with and yourself. some of the best, um, breakthroughs I've had have been during those moments. And so, ah. It's really hard to do that when you're just in the vibe with music, yeah. but like music can heal as well. So I won't say, you know, stop listening to all music as a music producer. Yeah. I will say music is definitely very healing. Um, the main purpose of no contact is essentially to detach, heal and correct any patterns that you've created in that relationship to set you up for a more fulfilling relationship moving forward, whether that's with your ex or with totally someone new. Mm-hmm. Um, by doing that, when you eventually do get back into the dating scene, you're going to learn what it is you want out of a relationship, mm. what needs you have that are like completely non-negotiable mm -hmm. and they need to be met and some things that you might be willing to be flexible about. Mm -hmm. And that's really where you're going to start to inform those boundaries. And as you said, someone with an anxious attachment style to initiate no contact, it goes against everything oh, in yeah. nature. You want this connection, you want this person and you, you fear being alone but now you're doing the exact thing that is creating that circumstance. And it can be quite scary. And I'm sure you were feeling a whole range of emotions, not just fear during that time. No, it really was an act of like self-protection. You know, it's like, I, this is my boundary. I, I have to do this. And it is being very conscious of the effects of everything. You know, if I continue to communicate with someone who is not in alignment currently, how will that make me feel in a week, two weeks, a month? Right. Or if I do the right thing, where can I heal from that? And I want to talk about this because you mentioned too earlier, like you can kind of spot when someone has done the healing work. What, what are some signs for you where you're like, okay, this might be good for me because I think someone might be listening and they might want to know like, okay, well, I kind of know what an avoidant looks like or an attachment or an anxious attacher. Um, and I have connected with anxious attachers too, where I'm like, yep, you're an anxious attacher. <laughs> um, and it's fine because it takes one to know one. Right. So like I'm mm -hmm. extra sensitive and how I respond to, um, but what are some like, in your opinion, right? Like what are some signs of someone who's doing this work who might be quote unquote, a safer choice? Yeah. Um, someone who says they've been to therapy or they're actively mm -hmm. in therapy. Like I know a lot of women will out there will say that's a really 
big green flag for a lot of men. Yes. Uh, and I would say that that's very true. Like someone that's taking the time, not that they have to be in therapy forever, but they're yeah. at least willing to like put themselves in that situation. Right. It takes a lot of courage. Um, also a willingness to connect on a deep emotional and intimate level and talk about maybe some of the traumatic things that have happened with them when they're hmm. ready. Um, yeah. And not just that, but like, how do they talk about those things? And the people who are involved in that, are they throwing them under the bus? Um, are oh, they, yeah. do they still hold on to that anger? That might give you a sense that while they are healing, they are still actively healing. They're mm. not. And if you need someone who's already healed, that can be a sign to look out for. Mm. And so trying to figure out whether someone's sort of like, in the anger phase of grief or has come to terms and can rationally think about the people who have hurt them in the past and can look at them as both as good and bad. Yeah. That's a good, healthy sign. Yeah. Um, someone that's not just calling their ex crazy. Um, that's a big one that stands out immediately. Oh um, yeah. 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 That's something I usually look out for. And um, I would say like just someone who's willing to respect your boundaries, like mm -hmm. even in the first few interactions you have with someone, no matter whether you're immediately setting a boundary with them or um, directly saying, this is my boundary, we do it on a subconscious level. And they should um, be yeah, not communicating. Yeah. 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 Like even in the context of setting that first date, if you say, you're not available to meet Saturday at 7 p.m. Can you do Sunday at 2 p.m.? Are they willing to really see you during that time if they're yeah. not busy? That's that's another way to respect a boundary. It's like, mm -hmm. well, this person's busy. And how do they handle that rejection? Because that can be seen as rejection, mm -hmm. depending on how healed that person is. Um, those are all little things that I look out for, is their willingness to cooperate and collaborate. And the last big one I would say is, is someone able to actively listen when you're communicating with them? And usually it takes the form of, you, you can tell when they're actually listening because they're, they're not thinking of a response. They're not ready to jump in with an interjection. They're waiting for you to finish. And they might even take like a few, two to three seconds to really just take in everything you've said mm -hmm. before they give an answer. And is their answer adding to the conversation or are they just immediately injecting their opinion? That's mm -hmm. something else I look out for. Yeah. I think for me, um, hearing what you're saying, a, a red flag that stood out for me for not being healed or just something that I noticed, like you're listening is so important, but like a big red flag for me is when no, they don't ask questions about me or mm -hmm. they don't care enough to like, they're not curious about my life or whatever. It's just like, that is one of the, the biggest red flags I notice. Um, so we talked about signs of healing. Um, there was something else regarding that that I wanted to touch on. And now I'm drawing a blank here. Um, because a lot of what you said makes sense. And you can identify those qualities for sure. And I think it's important. Oh, I remember. Now, say you see someone and you do see a red flag or you know that someone is in active healing, right? Like they just got broken up with, or they just got out of a divorce. Hi. Hello. Um, <laughs> so I'm curious what you think. And I don't have an answer for this and I'm still searching for the answer, but maybe you've done a little bit more work here. Do you think 
that someone who is in active healing, right? Post separation, divorce, breakup can heal while dating or if they find their person, right? Can you do that? Or do you think they should just fall back and not even consider if the opportunity was there? Like, can you heal with someone or should, can you, should you only heal alone? I know you should heal by yourself, but if the opportunity, if the opportunity presented itself, right. You like bump shopping carts with someone. I don't know. Right. Um, what is your take here? Yeah, that is a hot topic, especially on pop psychology on TikTok as well. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people will say in order to love someone, you need to learn to love yourself. And that means being alone. But I actually don't think that that's true. Yeah. Um, I, I think there's a certain time frame after a relationship where it's probably not good to jump into something else just right. because you're going to be bringing a lot of that resentment into the mm-hmm. next relationship. And it might make you hypervigilant to an unnecessary degree. And so you can take a little bit of time just to kind of go through the stages of grief, be by yourself, but doesn't mean you have to isolate and go into full hermit mode. Um, Yeah, I personally did. I I spent a lot of time in nature. I didn't see any friends, barely interacted with family. And it was about four months of that until I was like, okay, I, I need to get back out with friends at least just to get some sanity Mm -hmm. in my life but Mm -hmm. then i i would say that that's that's part of the healing process is you're not necessarily alone you're just not in a romantic connection Mm -hmm. and part of healing is recognizing that you don't need to get every single need met from a romantic partner there are some core things you need that are going to help add to the security of the relationship but do you need to talk to your partner about um, love is blind? Maybe you don't. Maybe you can talk about that with your girlfriends. Mm-hmm. Not everything has to be shared between you two in that nature. But mm. I think when it does come to a romantic connection, um, there are only so many things you can heal outside of that. And it's going to be when you're in that situation where you are tested and you have this other person that you hold accountable, but not only holds you accountable, hopefully, Mm -hmm. um, that certain wounds are going to come to the surface. And it's really the success on that is really going to rely on both of your willingness to communicate about that Mm -hmm. and work on it together, especially if you're going into that connection, knowing that, hey, like I had a long-term relationship and um, I'm still reconciling some things, but I think I am in a good place. Um, that's a lot better than saying like, my ex is crazy. Do you want to go out? Like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Just being able to have those honest conversations and continuously check in with each other mm-hmm. that will actually allow you both to be honest and raw about what you're feeling as you're getting to know each other. And yeah. I'm, I am a big believer in like the three month rule where it's like, don't commit to anything until like you've really gotten to know someone. And usually it takes around two and a half to three months and you kind of get through that whole honeymoon phase Mm -hmm. and those rose colored glasses will not necessarily come off, but you'll pull them down a little bit. And then you'll see like, oh, this person's got some baggage. Can I work with that? And then Mm -hmm. hopefully you've cultivated healthy communication up to that point to really talk about those things. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, in, in like in some, I would say 
there's a lot of healing that can be done outside of a relationship, but there are certain things that can only be healed in a romantic context. And so Mm. um, it's probably better for your success in the long term to focus on certain things until you get back into a relationship. Mm -hmm. Hopefully that'll help you be healthy enough and flex those communication skills so that when you do find that right person, you're going to be able to meet each other where you both need it the most. Right. Yeah. This sounds kind of similar to a conversation I had with my therapist last week, last weekend, actually like a week from today where I was just like, gosh, you know, I want to break these toxic cycles. I don't want to bring them into my next relationship. Like how can I be sure that I'm not bringing this into somewhere else? And she just, you know, and I I had this fear. I'm like, you know, all of these things went wrong and I just, I want to break the cycle. I don't want this to repeat because it is like a, you evolve or you repeat and you Mm. continue. Even it's funny. Like I'm connecting with you like post-divorce and you post breakup and literally everyone else that's been drawn to me is like fresh out of something. And so it's like, man, like I'm noticing the pattern and, and, and it's not necessarily a bad thing. It's just, I think a reflection of your healing, right. And each person I meet, along the way is a little more healed and a little more healed. So it gives me hope there that reflecting on me, like I'm doing that work too. And so Mm -hmm. my therapist said was, you know, the fact that you're able to be self-aware and you've read every book that I'm telling you to read and you're doing that work, you know, and if you're someone listening and you have been, you know, in a trauma bond or in a relationship that just wasn't in alignment, wasn't serving you, was just overall not great doesn't mean that the next one will be you know the next one that you're in as long as you're doing that work um and I am in the school of belief too that like I think we can heal and I honestly think that when you come into a romantic relationship with someone it's almost like a like a lesson like a life mission and like the that's the goal is that you two work together to heal independently. Like hopefully your partner is one who encourages your own self-growth and, you know, you to accomplish your dreams and be your own person, but also you do the same for them. You're two whole people, not like my partner completes me or they're my other half. It's like you guys, the journey is to become two whole healed people who continue and continuously help each other heal. Right. Like I think Mm -hmm. in my opinion, that's how I view like romantic relationships. So I would be, I would, I would like to think that I don't need to be fully healed to have a relationship with someone. I can be as someone who is a work in progress as long as they are too, right? Like you can't just, it can't be one-sided for sure. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That kind of reminds me like when I did start to dip my toes back into the dating scene, um, I, I believe I did meet someone who was secure but they had been so long out of a relationship. And I thought that that's, that's what I needed. I needed someone who was secure and fully ready to just dive in. But I recognized that was too soon in my healing journey Mm -hmm. to give that person what they actually needed. And so we had an honest conversation about like us being at different points. And that was like, sort of me looking in the mirror and being like, what I thought I wanted is not what I actually need. I would have actually preferred 
getting to know someone who is a little bit out of a relationship, mm-hmm. but still on their healing journey. Cause I, I felt together. like, yeah, I felt like I was, I was, it was really hard to be myself to mm-hmm. really talk about the challenges I had been going through when this person had been so far gone from a relationship and they were ready to just like have that full fresh slate with someone new. Yeah. It's not fair almost. It's not fair. It's really not fair. And to meet someone else that's sort of in that similar journey allowed me to feel comfortable to be like, hey, this is where I'm coming from. Mm -hmm. You're also sort of in that same area. And it just allowed those pieces to sort of fit together a little bit more nicely. Uh, It didn't feel as forced. And Mm -hmm. in a way, us sharing those stories actually helped heal each other a little bit, which is amazing. So there's something to be said for not necessarily always seeking someone that is at a certain point that you want to be, but yeah. someone that's necessarily where you want to get to um, because mm. they can help you get there. Or yeah. Or someone who has a potential to get there with you. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. A, yeah. I love that perspective. I'm so glad we talked about that because that's been stewing around in my brain. Cause yeah, yeah. I'm big in about manifesting and vision boards and you know what I'm calling into my next relationship, but Yeah. That's when you're sharing that story, I'm like, gosh, a completely like healed, securely attached person who is ready for this, that, and the other. And yeah, you know, I think it, it, there is something a little bit endearing about going through something with someone and working through that together. And honestly, isn't that what like bonds someone too? you know, like you have Mm -hmm. that bonding moment. Um, and yeah, you relatability, you can relate with someone. So I think that's a really beautiful way to sum that up. And I'm glad you did that. I think it, it gives a lot of people in healing some hope that they don't have to go and hide in a dungeon for a year and a half and just read all of the self-help books and, you know, zoom call their therapist every other day. And just, you know, like you can be a person in active healing and attract a mate who is on the same journey. And I think that's beautiful. Yeah, I think when when it's there's this cliche saying, but when it's meant to happen, it'll happen. But mm. I think naturally as you go on your journey, it'll it will happen. And that's really where you can start building towards interdependence. Mm-hmm. Because otherwise, if it's imbalanced, as you said, I, I feel like there's a tendency to more lead towards codependency. Oh gosh. That's a whole we could have a whole, it's another, a whole other episode. <laughs> it's <laughs> a whole new episode, but yeah. I've been talking a lot about codependency. I I am um, healing a person in healing from codependency. I'm sure you probably are too. I'm mm-hmm. just about every anxious attacher probably is yeah. um, or avoidant as well. Fascinating stuff. Um, did you read the book Codependent No More? No, I haven't. It's on my list, but yeah. uh, I've heard great things about it's it. It's really, it's a quick read too. It's, it's not like a soul crushing psych book. It It's a lot of ahas and a lot of, get your highlighter out kind of book. Um, so I'm like halfway through that. And I was having a voice comfort, like a voice texting conversation with my gal pal yesterday. And she has like a hyper independence, you know, like that's just, you know, I do everything myself and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, it's kind of a paradox, but that's actually a sign of codependency. <laughs> like do yeah. being hyper independent and, you know, uh, it, it's just, yeah. The psych world. I love that you considered, um, 
TikTok, like pop psych, I guess that would be the wheelhouse that I am attracted to as well. Mm -hmm. I just find the way that we think and the way that others think so fascinating. Um, I'm the type of person that will just straight up Google things just for fun. Like, I just want to know. I mean, I feel like I'm getting the vibe that you're the same way. Oh yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Definitely a long history of just Google searches. Yep attachment theory, personality disorders, Mm -hmm. all of that stuff. And um, I would say being able to do that, even feeling comfortable doing that Mm -hmm. is a sign that someone is doing the work Um, because you can literally Google anything. Oh my gosh. You're actively choosing to Google that. That's a good sign. It's crazy too. I know we got to wrap it up shortly, but it's crazy how much, if you are really willing to do the work, to get to know yourself and the people closest to you. There are just so many layers. We've got love languages. We've got the Enneagram. I mean, we can get weird. We can talk about astrology. We can take a peek at your birth chart. I mean, there is no excuse to not have the most intimate relationship with yourself, which, wow, I'm having an aha moment because I know myself so well right now. And I'm reflecting now that I'm, I now have the ability to see others that way. Like, I'm curious, what's your, any, what is your Enneagram? Do you know yours? I don't. You got to take the test after this. I'll, I'll send you a link. It's fascinating stuff. So, you know, we have like our Zodiac. It's pretty much like, like the, in the Myers-Briggs, right? Like it's like, yeah, it's, it's like the Myers-Briggs, but more digestible and it's, it will really help you understand even more too. And it is tied to like trauma and like inner childhood wounds and core fears and stuff. So I'm an Enneagram for my core wound is like rejection. And that's like my core fear just to be insignificant and unheard and unseen or whatever. And there's a lot. So I'll, I'll send you a link. It's really interesting stuff. I actually have a podcast on it. Um, if you want to listen to it, I had an Enneagram expert, I think last year, come on. And we talked all about it. It's really cool stuff, but Yeah. There's just, there's so much you can learn about yourself. And the more, you know, yourself, the more capacity you have, there's human design too. Um, everyone, we just operate that we're so intricate. And that's what I love about this stuff about healing and pop psych or whatever. It's like, there are so many layers to us. And the more we peel back and the more we learn, we have that, like, consciousness and that shift in awareness where we can spot people. I mean, I know people's Enneagram numbers after without them even taking the test after (laughs) like a couple, a couple months of chatting, like consistently, I'm like, okay, you're the peacemaker. You're an Enneagram nine. You, you know, your core wound is this, I can tell. And so knowing that I don't even need someone to like take a test. I do, however, would like someone to take the love language. Cause I think that's important. Even with friendships, I highly yeah. recommend knowing someone else's love language. So you know how to show up for them, but, uh, yeah, you know, I I'll read up on people that I care about and I, that way I know how to show up for them and they don't even know that I do that work, but like I do, I think it's important. Like you want, if you care about someone, I think, it's our job to really make that investment. I don't know. What do you think? Do you think we should invest in people like that? (laughs) Yeah, no, I totally agree. It's just one of the many ways where you're not necessarily learning about the person, but you're learning how to integrate with them. 
So like, if you know their love languages, that's like the framework for how you can deal with conflict Mm. or also how you can deal with the happy moments as well. Like it's just figuring out how you can meet someone. If they say their love language is gifts, but you're giving them words of affirmation and wondering why they don't feel like secure in that connection, like that could be a why. And so that's actually one of the earliest conversations I like to have with people when I'm getting to know them is like, how do you rank your love languages? Or mm-hmm. have you taken Myers-Briggs? What were you? And mm-hmm. just being able to talk about that stuff. It's just the different layers. Like I like to go back to the Shrek analogy. It's like you're an onion and there's yeah, many layers. Yeah, I thought about that too. <laughs> kind of peel them all back. And yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah it's, the, it's a great way of looking at it because it can really helps simplify everything. So it is. Yeah, this was such a beautiful talk. I'm so glad we did this. Um, I do want to wrap it up because I could do this forever, but I know we have a whole life to have today. So yes. wrapping it up, what is your favorite way to support your nervous system? Um, The biggest thing is really centered around my mindset um, mm-hmm. because I did become really obsessed with tarot. The biggest thing I took away from that was temperance, sort of creating balance in your life. Um, even so much that I got it tattooed on me and yeah, it was quite the experience. Um, but yeah, it was necessary to really adopt that coming from a, a mindset that was addicted to the highs and lows of a codependent toxic relationship. And so Mm -hmm. kind of keeping that at the forefront of every decision I make, um, and just maintaining that balance really goes a long way, but then also, doing other things like um, exercising in my apartment since I work from home or mm-hmm. going for walks with my dog and really not denying myself life's pleasures. Like even though I'm trying to be healthier, oh, I'm yeah. not necessarily restricting the foods I eat. Like mm-hmm. I love food. And so if I want to eat a, a really dirty burger one night, I, yeah. I, I want that dopamine hit. So yeah. I will, I will partake and all of that kind of just adds to um, really maintaining like good, strong and happy mental health. Wow, Charlie, you're going to have so many dates after this episode. <laughs> Let me tell you what, <laughs> um, <laughs> what is one thing you do to nourish yourself? It could be that burger too. Yeah, it's the burger. <laughs> it's also um, for a while after that last relationship, I didn't listen to any music. Oh, um, yeah. And I just, it was too painful to listen mm. to music because so much reminds you about that other person. Yikes. And yeah. so since I've gotten back to that point, um, I went out, I, I right over here, you can see that I bought a record shelf and a record player and I'm building up a record vinyl collection. And so awesome. getting back in touch with new music and discovering new sounds. Um, also going out to more things. Like when friends asked me to do things, I... Um, to a degree become more like a yes man where it's like yeah I would love to go out and go to that concert even Mm -hmm. if I don't listen to the music I will go and spend time with you because quality time is one of my love languages so yeah definitely just especially coming from a relationship where didn't go out much and Mm -hmm. was codependent Mm -hmm. really trying to go out live a life have fun create new experiences Mm -hmm. is a big part of the picture right now yeah I'm hearing this and I just can sense and feel this like almost not that you have arrived, but I can sense your arrival to this place of like, man, I, a breakup can really 
give you this sense of rebirth. And I'm hearing that. Mm -hmm. And when you speak and maybe you, maybe you've had that reflective moment, but I can see it for you. It's like, wow, what, what an opportunity, you know, what a gift, what a gift to reinvent and re and be reborn. So I, I love that. It's kind of a full circle moment to hear from, from your perspective. Um, all right. Last one. What's your favorite? I love this question so much. What is your favorite way to elevate or conserve your personal energy? Um, definitely seeking knowledge is a great way to elevate energy because, um, it really helps me to explain a lot about what's going on in my life, mm-hmm. um, especially in the moment. So it really helps build that self-awareness, but, that self-awareness also allows me to pay attention to when I need to take a step back and conserve energy, Um, especially with someone who has a social battery that can run out. Um, Instead of self-sacrificing and staying at a party longer or staying at a bar a little bit longer or a restaurant with friends, I might be like, you know what, guys, I'm tapped out. I'm going to head home. And just being true to myself in that way. And then also, um, taking, taking naps. I I love taking naps, um, and cuddling with my dog. Like it's just something that refreshes me. And Mm -hmm. especially in a day where like I work from home, I'm in zoom calls. Mm -hmm. And when you throw TikTok into the mix and social media, like it can be draining really, really fast. And so Mm -hmm. listening to your body recharging and just taking time to just decompress and relax. It goes a long way. You are definitely sounding like an Enneagram nine at the moment. I'm really excited <laughs> to like chat with you after this yeah. and see what I you I want to try that. Yeah. I want to figure out what <laughs> um, I am. The naps and the chilling. That's definitely the vibe of that, that type. Um, this is great. I, I love it. This is a wonderful conversation. Thanks so much for taking the time to come on and chat and enlighten us. I appreciate it. Guys, make sure you follow Charlie. Um, as we have mentioned, we're not really... We're not loving Instagram so much for this type of content. <laughs> so if you're into this type of content, check him out at on TikTok. And what's your handle again? Uh, Healing with Charlie. Healing with Charlie. Check him out. Yep. Good stuff. Some good laughs too. Um, thanks, Charlie, so much. It's been real. And yeah. Is there anything else you want to add? Uh, I just want to say thank you for having me on. I appreciate that. And to anyone that's listening, I really do wish you the best on your healing journey. Um, if you need some advice or you want to like level up your knowledge, then definitely give Brittany and I a follow on social media. We can help you along your journey. I love it. Thanks, Charlie. Uh, <laughs> thank you so much. Thank you for showing up today. I appreciate you being here in this space with me. If you are into this episode or you really dig the podcast, I would be so grateful for your five-star review on here, as well as sharing this episode or podcast with your crew. If it resonates at all, that would mean the world to me. Also, here is an invitation to hang out with me on Instagram at Brittany Vicinski. You can chat with me here anytime. I would love to connect with you. Thank you so much from the bottom of my heart for being here. Until next time.